Hello, welcome back. It is week 68 on Out on That Line. I'm Jeff with my co-host, Alex. Alex, how you doing this week? Jeff, to quote the artist this week, I completely agree. Yes. I thought it was appropriate. It's maybe a little too flowery <laughs> for some people's taste, but I've been accused of being a dilettante, but never a gentleman. Well, if they couldn't deal with that, they're not going to be able to deal with this album because we're going to be talking about Eddie Vedder and his new album, Earthling, this week. Um, Eddie Vedder, of course, the lead singer of Pearl Jam, stepping out on his own, seeing what he does. We'll get to that a little later, but there was something that we wanted to talk about first, something very near and dear to our heart, something important that I don't think either of us could live without at this point. I of course, I'm talking about the YouTube page. Now, Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about that YouTube page? Well, we've recently hit a couple milestones. We just reached 145 subscribers. And as we always remind you, we started from literally zero, hung out around 25 to 30 for a while. And now the rocket ship has just taken off into the stratosphere. 145. Not too bad mm -hmm. for a couple of bozos from the Green Mountain State. Thank you very much. We mm -hmm. also cracked 20,000 views on our videos. So lots of cue the pyro, cue the ballyhoo. The boys are <laughs> the boys are taking over YouTube. We cannot be stopped. Yeah, and it has been really fun. Once I figured out how to do the reaction video, how to get it filmed and how to like kind of do it, it was so much fun to do that. Um, I think it's just a new way for us to kind of connect. So that's where y'all come in as well, is you got to tell us what you want to hear. If there's something brand new that came out that you don't think we've heard about and you want to see what we think, tell us. Let us know. Um, making those videos, turns out, is fairly quick. So knocking out multiple, and that's why you've kind of seen maybe not the most regular schedule because we're, we're able to film more of this stuff. So it's been you know, a little bit sporadic, but you're getting things more often in general. So we're still always releasing that video on Thursdays, but you're seeing a few more come out here and there. Um, what we really want to do is just continue to do the things that we've been doing, the podcast, the singles episodes, the reaction videos, um, the special podcast episodes. We like to keep doing all that stuff, but if there's other forms of content that you want to see, and we've got a few ideas of our own of things moving forward, but if there's anything that you want to see us try, just let us know, whether it's a, an album or something just on the show. Perhaps you would like to see us do a video naked, do some kind of <laughs> nude music review, tastefully done. <laughs> I'm not saying I would be down for that, but I wouldn't say no. So go ahead. Hit us with your best shot. I mean, there's a, definitely a, some corner of the internet that would, that would eat that up. I don't know if it's the corner I want to be found in, though. Nudes that's, and tunes. That's, that's our thing. Nudes and tunes. <laughs> Yeah, we just we just want to let people know we appreciate the support so far on the YouTube. Um, we appreciate even more support. If you haven't subscribed yet, go there and subscribe. You're going to get a lot more content. If you like the podcast, you're going to love what the other stuff that we're doing. Um, you know, we're just trying to put as much out there as we possibly can and just kind of see where this thing goes. Yeah, it's the Joseph A. Banks method. You're going to like what you see. I guarantee it. <laughs> so check it out. You'll find us. We have our own URL. Alex, don't you dare. Don't you do this to me. Let's see if I got it. <laughs> YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash out on that line. Is that it? Let's find out. I'll get the Instagram up. Ooh, come on. 
phone. You you you've got this. YouTube.com <laughs> forward slash C forward. Uh, yeah, YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash out on that line. I did it. See, I knew you could do it. You've always been a pressure player, Alex. You've always been a pressure player. Look at me, Dad. I'm okay. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you something that I, you know, maybe your dad has never told you, and that is, that is, I'm proud of you. I thought you were gonna say I love you. <laughs> well, maybe maybe next week. What do you say we get right to it? To the Vetter man himself, Eddie Vetter, and his album Earthling. Let's do now, it. Now, this one, um, I didn't realize had come out. Um, I guess it came out over a month ago, actually. Well, I guess just about a month ago, February 11th. Um, and Eddie Vedder's done some solo stuff before. He did the album, you know, the music for um, Into the Wild. You know, so he's done some stuff on his own. You know, Temple of the Dog, he's done away from Pearl Jam. So he, it's just not a new thing that he's gone out on his own. Um, I felt like there was a lot that I recognized on this album. There was some stuff that I didn't recognize really and in, in kind of talking about styles and and how the music goes that i'm used to hearing that there were some different things on this album um but we picked our usual three songs each and do you want to just get right into it get into the first song uh yeah i guess let's jump on okay in. um so the first song that i chose was power of right and this one i felt like like i was saying there were things that i recognized here there were things that were familiar to me, um, but there was a lot of stuff that like it was just it was almost like looking in a mirror, but the mirror was a little blurry or looking at a picture and it was just out of focus. You know, it was like I recognize this Eddie Vedder, but I don't at the same time. And there was a lot of good with that. And there was a little bit of bad with that. And that's kind of throughout the album. And this song, I think, represents that perfectly. Um, the lyrics, I feel like with Eddie Vedder, you can kind of just say lyrics notwithstanding because it's like system of a down a lot of the stuff means something to him and won't mean anything to you it it means what it what you think it means basically he's never going to really define that for you um so things like an itchy trigger finger a clown in his ear his intimidation born of his fear hypnotized bloodshot eyes and a mind unclear so you can picture this thing right you can kind of picture this person that that has those is represented by those things but it's also just out of focus right so it, it allows that kind of entry in to make what make of it what you want to um and i feel like that's something that he does well on this album but at certain points and at certain points on this song that does kind of fall flat for me this is such a weird album because there are home runs there are dog shit whiffs. There are songs that had a kernel of a good idea, but but missed a part of it. And then there are a few songs like Power of Right that are very inoffensively right down the middle. I can't really say anything bad about this. It's, it's a nice middle ground vocally between Pearl Jam Voice and Old Man Eddie, because a lot of the times on this album, it's, I would say, like, 80-20, we're getting Old Man Eddie, and that's not an, an insult. He, he's still got a rocking voice. But when you think of, like, peak Pearl Jam and, like, when he really innovated jaw rock, for better or worse, because mm -hmm. a lot of people associate it with Creed and that bullshit. Mm -hmm. But when you think of peak Eddie Vedder in the 90s and you, you hear him now, it's not a huge gulf, but he definitely does sound like an almost 60-year-old man at this point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and songs like this, I think he he got in the middle of those. He didn't sound old as fuck, and he didn't sound like he was trying to be Pearl Jam Eddie again. Um, and there was some nice dynamic stuff in this. There's this like very sinister verse talking about the evil influence in the world, but then this like really light dynamic chorus that, like you said, lyrically there's not much of a feature here. It's it's more the message, and the message literally is the power of right. It's mm-hmm. when you're when you're consumed by fear, the power of goodness is going to be more powerful, and it, it will always win in the end. And that's Eddie Vedder in a nutshell. He's a very positive guy. So I think this was a right down the middle track on the album. Yeah. And it's, I just have to say, and as we go through the rest of this album too, the influence that Bruce Springsteen has on like this era of like the generation after him of rock stars is like so strong. I don't know if anybody has been more influential like think about the killers, like the Gaslight Anthem, you know, some of the biggest rock bands, you know, Eddie Vedder, like some of the biggest rock acts and rock bands of the last 25 years have so much Springsteen just like coursing through them. And it's fun for me because I'm like, oh man, it's you can tell like that style of music was, you know, Bruce might not have invented it, but he definitely held the torch the highest and longest of anybody. And now seeing Eddie Vedder do this kind of stuff, which is really, there's some like, there's actually, you know what? There's not a whole lot in common with early Pearl Jam on any of this. You know, what I hear the most is like Backspacer. I don't know if you remember that album. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Lightning Bolt. You know, it's that kind of when they played fast, it was more like frenetic punk rock more than it was that kind of grunge. Like you heard even flow or black or live, you know, and it's, to me, I feel like that there's a very defined like later stage Eddie Vedder and early stage Eddie Vedder. And it's about like there's a very angry Eddie Vedder, a very sad one for the first half of his career. And now it's he gets sad about some things, but it's much more optimism. You know, it's much more like look to the future, make the right steps now so that you have an easy pass, easy path later. You know, just like that. That's the kind of feeling I get from it. That's what makes Eddie Vedder such an interesting guy as a person, as a musician, and then as a musician in the grunge scene. Because like you said, there's Angry Eddie Vedder, which we've, we've got at the, Angry Pearl Jam, which we got at the beginning. Because Eddie Vedder, his sensibilities always kind of, his sympathies always lied with the wretched, right? He had mm-hmm. sympathy for drug addicts and prostitutes and people living on the streets and the economically oppressed and the the mentally depressed, the mentally ill. He cared for all the people that had no position of power and were not being helped by those who did. And that empathy is carried through his entire life. He puts his fucking money where mm-hmm. his mouth is. Eddie Vedder seems like a solid-ass dude. And he was an anomaly within grunge. Like, grunge is an inherently political genre, but also a personal genre. It's mm-hmm. making political comments by showing the people that are affected by it. So you get someone like Kurt Cobain, who was kind of, you know, sleeping on his principal's couch for a while and, like, didn't really have a a stable home environment and became addicted to drugs, and there's this economic depression all over the place. And and so the effect that the indifference of the powerful has on the lives of the many is 
kind of encapsulated in grunge. That's why it hit with everyone. It wasn't nihilism. We don't care. It's like, no, we're pissed and there's nothing we can do except fucking make music mm-hmm. about it. And there were a lot of tortured souls in the scene. You had Lane Staley, Alice in Chains. You had Chris Cornell, um, Andy Wood. That was the whole impetus behind forming mm-hmm. Temple of the Dog mm-hmm. where Chris Cornell like anointed Eddie Vedder like, hey, this is the next guy. Um, obviously, Kurt Cobain, you had these very tragic figures within the genre and Eddie Vedder has endured and he has persevered and those guys were victims it's it's no shade on them obviously mm-hmm. they suffered terribly but Eddie Vedder found a way to endure and to supplement sublimate suffering into something that those of us who are suffering today can hold on to and I just mm-hmm. kind of wanted to use power of right to applaud that that's a really cool fucking thing about the guy because keep in mind down the road in this review i'm gonna trash the fucking shit out of him (laughs) eddie vetter this is all said with love you're a dope ass dude yeah and i wonder if it's gonna be the same points that we that we sharpen the knives a little bit here i'm i'm gonna guess it is um so the next one was your first pick brother the cloud very eddie eddie vetter title it's an extremely eddie vetter title (laughs) yeah Um, this is about, uh, very specifically Chris Cornell's suicide. I think more broadly, it's about the feeling that gets brought on when that happens to anyone. It's a very universal sentiment. I mean, we've all lost somebody. Most of us have anyway to suicide. And it's always a, a, a terrible thing that he encapsulates all the emotions behind it perfectly in this song. So there is this like very, again, tender mournful verse trying to reconcile what's happened and then it just bursts into this giant chorus where the vocals are just crying to heaven and this is classic eddie vetter vocals he's just screaming to the heavens because he can't make sense of this Mm -hmm. um you have this bridge which kind of becomes this like intimate confession of like i'm trying to process what happened i'm upset about it but I also can't really speak how deeply it's affecting me because I think I would scare people if they knew how I felt. Cause I scare myself, especially in the context of someone who just committed suicide. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to express anger, not just at the fact that he lost his friend, but that his friend deprived the world of him and that his friend didn't think enough of himself to stick around. So mm-hmm. when he says all those fuck you, fuck you, fuck yous at the end, it's not condemnation. It's it's just like an outpouring of, of absolute grief and misery. It was because yeah. he loved Chris Cornell so much that he just kind of has to scream at the sky. And that's that's what this song is. Yeah. And, and those two, it really, it always seemed like they were kind of like brothers of the soul. You know, it's just like they had the same love for what they were doing inside them and that's the thing that brought them together in the first place and they found out that they saw life in similar ways as well you know because it's you know the subject matter you know i think one thing that soundgarden did a little different than pearl jam was lyrics were a lot more direct yeah less vague and you know i do think as a songwriter like a straight like lyricist chris cornell was a little better than eddie better um i always tended to skew more towards Pearl Jam though because I felt like they rocked a little a little more my speed and and I think that's why I loved Eddie Vedder's voice is because it was just that perfect fit with it but knowing that his career was so intertwined with Chris Cornell and it was by choice you know they they could have chosen to 
go completely their separate separate ways and do their own things, but they constantly always work together. You know, they did Temple of the Dog. They were always just friends more than anything that enjoyed that they had similar interests. And I think that was something that always came through. So when you lose somebody like that, you know, somebody that's just knows you inside and out because they're into the same things you are, they have the same views you do, um, you know, losing somebody like that, it wasn't just about the music. You know, it was all part of it. It was this connection they had. You know, maybe they were soulmates. You know, I think it, it extends past like a romantic you know, sort of thing, you know, your soulmate can be anybody. And I think those two were. Yeah. I mean, it's the concept of twin flame. That's what transcends the romantic aspect of it. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're the same soul in two different bodies. Um, and I, I totally agree with you on, I think, I, I think I like Chris Cornell's voice better. I like the, Oh, and if you're, if it's apples to apples, voice to voice, I mean, Chris Cornell's got one of the greatest voices Ever. Fucking unreal, which is no shade on Eddie yeah. Vedder because Eddie Vedder has been a massive inspiration to me. Meatloaf, mm-hmm. Eddie Vedder, Tom Waits. So, like, th- that's no shade on Eddie Vedder, but it's, yeah. it's uh, like, atop the pantheon sits Chris Cornell's voice. Fucking unreal. So mm-hmm. you got his voice and his lyrics. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. Pearl Jam rocked more my speed. And speaking of the rocking on this song, this was one of the more pearl jam sounds in term of in terms Mm -hmm. of eddie's vocals um overall i think it's a little more tender than something we would have gotten from like early pearl jam which is fine i'm not like oh it's Mm -hmm. a pussy song like no but it's it's just kind of when he says brother the cloud i got the image of a blue sky with clouds because i don't see eddie vetter like sitting in the rain huffing cigarettes being i I just kind of see him looking up to the sky on a beautiful day and thinking about chris cornell um But musically, I want to ask you, did you have as much of a problem with some of the fucking mixing on this album as I did? Yes, absolutely. It was, and I'm telling you, that is the issue that has existed since, um, I want to say right around Backspacer. You know, they had taken that kind of long break between albums. They came, like, Backspacer was kind of like a comeback album. And I really like that album. I think that yeah. was a an excellent album. I put that one up there with like Vitalogy, you know, and, and other ones they've done. Um, but you could tell the mixing was an issue. It's like Metallica's Saint Anger album. I don't know if you've listened to that compared to, you know, their their nineties stuff, which was like impeccably produced. And then you hear Saint Anger and it's like they're the snare is a tin can. You know, it was that yes. same level of it was kind of like disjointed. Um, I felt like the guitars were mixed with way too much treble. There wasn't enough mid-range. You're talking about this one, right? This album. Yes. There was not not enough mid-range at all in this. Um, It just, it always felt like there was something that was a little bit off. There were a couple of slow, mellow songs that the mixing was fine because it's like, it's always going to be fine with that stuff. There's nothing that's like too dynamic or anything in it that would throw it off. Yeah. Um, but this one, yeah, you're you're exactly right. The mixing was an issue on that. And I don't know if that was intentional. Like, they listened to this and said, this is exactly what I want. This sounds great. Um, but Eddie Vedder does have a history of, you know, especially recently, the mixing being a little wonky. Well, and we've just been so privileged to listen to, like, going backwards in time, Beach House, Spoon, uh, Dawn FM, these, like, impeccably... Mm-hmm just these rich soundscapes. So then you get something like this and you're absolutely correct. 
I noticed it on the first two songs. The treble was like they just grabbed the knob and cranked it on the guitars. Mm-hmm. They were just pang, pang, pang. There was like no bass to it. And it was way too loud in the mix. And a lot of times mm-hmm. Eddie Vedder's voice is way too forward in the mix. And because it's so powerful, you can afford to pull it back. Like that, like stuff, especially off 10, when you hear mm-hmm. him singing, it sounds like they were like, can you go stand in the doorway of another yeah. room <laughs> and we'll record you from there? Because it's not like he's, you know, echoing down a subway tunnel, but it's definitely like he doesn't need to be that prominent in the mix to stand out. Mm-hmm. And he's just so you're you're just and, and like his hit the bases out of his voice, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a fucking baritone and, and his voice. They managed to somehow make it sound really thin on a couple songs. So all yep. of that was to say, Brother the Cloud, I really noticed the mix got better because the first two songs I had my shit and pants on. I'm like, this is going to be mm-hmm. brutal. This is going to be fucking yep. brutal. But this song, mercifully, not the case. Yeah. And they, the I felt like towards the end of the album, the mixing really fell off the cliff again. So I don't know if yeah. they just like had certain songs they paid a lot more attention to. I don't know. Um, but we'll move on to the next one. Um, this one was one of my picks called The Dark. And the one thing I'll say about this song, I mean, I'll say a few things about the song, but the one thing that just struck me immediately, this song seemed like Eddie Vedder doing his best impression of the killers doing their best impression of Bruce Springsteen. Like that's what this song kind of said to me, just like it had very somewhat killers lyrics. Like I'll find you in the dark. I mean, that's Brandon flowers, you know, that like black and white. There's no question about what kind of lyrics those are. And then it just, but it's got the very like new age Springsteen, kind of feel to it especially like letter to you and magic and like his more recent albums of the last probably what 20 years or so yeah this is there is nothing musically slash technically wrong with this song the message is on point eddie vetter the force for good doesn't want credit for it he was he's always been uncomfortable with this idea much like mitski this concept of like you saved my life he's like oh boy Mm -hmm. that's you know I'm glad you liked it, but I that's, you know, I don't I don't deserve credit for you figuring your way out of the dark. I just mm-hmm. try to make stuff that's relatable. So a relatable song, again, I don't think it's it's the big problem for me is this sounds like him doing when you say it's him doing an impression of the killers doing an impression of Bruce Springsteen, the trickle down Springsteen economics. This sounds so much like dancing in the dark that it became distracting. And small nitpick, every time he said dark, it sounded like dork. I'll find you in the dork. And I'm like, oh, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? And the big thing for me is the sound, that dancing in the dark sound, created an expectation that the lyrics could not possibly live up yeah. to. Bruce Springsteen, anyway, is such a killer lyricist. I mean, mm-hmm. just like he, he reaches inside of your brain and, and gives you something. Especially that song. Yeah. Something you didn't know you needed and you didn't know you felt, but you did, and he felt it, and he's holding up the mirror to you. So this song creates a lot of expectations that the lyrics just didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. This was a yeah. whiff for me. Yeah, he tried to start a fire without a spark on this one. <laughs> exactly. Come on, man. Bruce literally <laughs> said you can't. Yeah, I mean, like that that song, I mean, that might be one of the most popular Springsteen songs and everybody thinks a pop song isn't as like good, but listen to the lyrics on Dancing in the Dark, folks. If you haven't really paid attention to that before, 
I mean, like they say you got to stay hungry. I'm just about starving tonight. I mean, come on. People shit on that song. Well, I think they they don't look at it as like one of the more like introspective Springsteen songs. You know, it's like you think about you listen to like Born in the USA and they're like, oh, well, if you really listen to it, you know, it's that same. It gets that same kind of surface treatment where it's like Born in the USA. Yeah, go USA. But it's like really about something very deep and meaningful. I think it's the same thing with Dancing in the Dark. Well, I'm I'm disappointed that people don't interface with that song in a better way. That whole album, I get it. It's one of the bigger ones, so it's not controversial to say, but Fire and Flames. So mm-hmm. many good tunes. I'm going mm-hmm. down as a personal favorite of mine. Oh yeah. I fucking love that song. Yep. Yeah, his like those little weird offshoot songs like I'm on Fire. Oh yeah. That he did. I mean, he's got uh, the big hits Born to Run, Born in the USA, you know, Dancing in the Dark. He's got those big massive stadium hits but those little those little side ones those are some of the best Mm -hmm. some of the best just a sweet treat he's just giving us some sweet treats i love it yeah maybe we should do like a springsteen deep cut episode sometime i think that's that series that tanner and i did on the record i think is the perfect forum to do something like that yeah just deep cuts let's plan let's plan on one of those all right let's dig in the bag folks you just heard a live brainstorm on out on that line of something coming down the pike in the future. So if you have suggestions for that, tell us what's your favorite deep cut Springsteen song. What song at a live concert? If you were to see Springsteen and the E street band, what song at a live concert? Would you just absolutely shit your pants over pants, tell us. pants shitters only baby. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want anything less than the Brown note. Keep okay? your bullshit so, at home. Yeah. Well, what do you say? Let's move on to your next pick good and evil this is the most pearl jam song on the album now that's not a prerequisite to make it good it's not a prerequisite to enjoy the album i'm just stating as a statement of fact that that this is the most pearl jam song there are songs on here that were not pearl jam songs that i did enjoy just had to point out when this came on i was like oh my god Hell bent for leather, just a, mm-hmm. an absolute freight train from hell. This thing is moving at a thousand miles an hour. Um, do you know the story behind this? No, I, but the lyrics are very pointed, so I bet it's a good one. They're very specific. So we have a lot of gun imagery. We have a lot of this, like, it's a very, it's delivered with a lot of vitriol, the lyrics. Um, do you have those up? Yes. Yes, can I you, do. Can you spit a couple gruesome ones at us? Uh, yes. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, get some sleep. I hope you dream your own death tonight, girl. Um, I hear you've gone. You're gone on an adventure. I hear you're living the dream. Oh, with your poor excuse for a husband, a safari scene. Oh, look at you dressed up as hunters like some fucked up Halloween. Oh, a majestic creature and a bullet and a dower queen. Is it about Lauren Boebert? It is not, but you're close. It is about Wayne, Wayne LaPierre and his wife, Susan LaPierre. Oh, the NRA people? The, the NRA fuckos. Okay. Um, so the story is they went on an elephant safari in Botswana, mm-hmm. essentially paid somebody to track down an elephant for them, get it into a kill box so that they could shoot at it. Wayne LaPierre, the guy who is the president of the NRA, fucking hit the elephant. It didn't go down at 
point blank range. He tried to shoot it three more times and it just suffered miserably because he's such a shit shot. The guide had to come up and put the fucking animal out of its misery. Sorry, guys. Trigger warning. Um, but it took four shots to bring down an elephant. The mighty Wayne Lapierre. The most fe- the only guy that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, you're a fucking mm-hmm. loser with a gun who had to fucking hunt a defenseless animal. Look, if we've got deer hunters out there, and I know we do, there's a difference between controlling the deer population where they are abundant and they're not endangered like an elephant, and you eat the meat and you're respectful of the animal and it, it, it's part of the process if you choose to consume meat. There is mm-hmm. ethical hunting like that. There is nothing fucking ethical about hunting big game so that you can make stools out of the feet, which they did. They cut the fucking feet off the elephant and made stools out of them. So Wayne LaPierre is a fucking loser, but his wife, who is, who's being sung about in this, mm-hmm. takes the fucking cake. She is actually a better shot than her husband, apparently. And once she felled her animal, she went over to the elephant and cut its fucking tail off, spun it around her head like a helicopter, Petey Pablo style, and yelled, victory! These people are the fucking animals. I'm getting hot just recounting this article that I read. So Eddie Vedder steps into those shoes with this song. So you can imagine how fucking vitriolic the boiling rage in this song it is a a horrible subject matter but a fucking Mm -hmm. tremendous treatment of these monsters yes i mean that that sounds to me going the way that they're hunting that animal and i'm sure that there are people that need to hunt like if it comes down to you having to survive kill that elephant you know like if that's the meat that you need to live and, and survive and provide for the people around you like that's one thing but you should never kill something just for pleasure. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think what you're saying about the difference between, I mean, we know tons of people that hunt. I mean, friend of the pod, Brandon. Friend of the pod, Reno. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Reno. I mean, but they do it ethically. You know, they go out, they abide by the rules that are set for what they're doing. They're respectful of the land. They're respectful of the animal that they're hunting. And they don't take more than what they need. You know, and it's a way that they each provide some food for their family. You know, the way the meat prices are right now, probably pretty good to have a freezer full of venison, you know, but yeah. doing what the what the NRA fuckos are doing, that's like me going to play tackle football with a bunch of third graders. Yeah, you know, it's you're... not it's not a real competition, like it's not a real like a true measure of who you are as a human. Yeah, and like, uh, uh, sorry if we sound like a bunch of fucking bleeding heart pussies over here, but I would say you have to be a big fucking pussy to pay someone to take you on a special trip to kill an endangered animal. That is clearly, Mm -hmm. you got a tiny little pee-pee, and your wife caught some of that vibe, and you want to prove what a viable man you are, because that's why why you're doing this. You you only Mm -hmm. fucking corner and kill a defenseless, endangered animal, because you are fucking miserable paramecium on a fucking flea you are a scumbag and that eddie vetter our valiant knight not just lyrically excoriating them but he comes through like the drums chad smith by the way we haven't even cracked in chad smith from red hot chili peppers um drums all over this i think there's one song he didn't play drums on and we'll get to that one 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the drums are just, just hell bent for leather. The guitar, it sounds like it's dripping acid. So again, this one was really well executed, really well mixed. Mm-hmm. The instruments sounded pro- like if you got to get one right, I'm glad it was this one because this is such a pissed off pure Eddie Vedder Nitro song. For the next song, it was my last pick for the album. It's Try. Uh, now, this one was just one of those ones that rocked. That's why I like this one a lot. Um, now, lyrically, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one, at least a whole lot to, that neither positive or negative. It was kind of, yeah, yeah like it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this song definitely, and I, I cannot emphasize this enough, this song I wholeheartedly disagree. Oh my God. Let's hear it. Let's hear the logic for why you're wrong. (laughs) It does some stuff well. I'll start with the good stuff. Um, The guitar is mercifully appropriate in the mix. Um, The the choices on the melody, it does that like, eh, that like half step thing that I can never articulate that I love that songs do. Mm -hmm. That, as I call it, the little flip, which means nothing to anyone. I think it's like, a half step into like a minor or some shit like that. Uh-huh. I don't know. Music nerds chime in. Um, I love that shit. Mitski does that on um, Love Me More. They, I will be a new girl like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds a little sour to your ear, but also sounds right. I really like that. Song does that. The song drives guitar appropriate in the mix. Um, the vocals on this are insanely lackluster. They're mixed poorly. They just don't sound, they sound like he did it at the end of the day. And the big one, the big one here, Stevie Wonder, I Love You to Death, Inner Visions, Talking Book, Music of My Mind, amazing, amazing albums. But the fucking harmonica is so misplaced in this song. It is not mixed well. You talk about an instrument that doesn't have any bass anyway, but they somehow found a way to make it just sound like the breeze blowing through a fucking Venetian blind. It's just, it's so, he plays with great technique, but it's so fucking out of place. It feels like it was slapped in there in like Fruity Loops. I I, I couldn't stand this song. The harmonica was just an ice pick in the eye every time. Well, I guess we now know which <laughs> co-host on Out of That Line doesn't like to have any fun at all. <laughs> that's right. That's me. I live in perpetual misery, baby. Oh, because the thing that I was going to point out about this one was that harmonica solo. Because you like, you don't hear that every day. Pearl Jam and Stevie Wonder. I mean, it didn't work. On, it didn't work for me. The harmonica solo was excellent in and of itself. It's just like it's a plus if you put it in another song. But this just like. This didn't land for me, and we didn't cover this one, but the Elton John one did not land for me at all. <laughs> that one was really bad. It fucking sucked, dude. Elton John, as much as I love him and the great output he had when he was in his prime, I'm done with Elton John. Please retire. Please finish your tour and go home. <laughs> his voice sounded weird. Oh, dude. Like, if I, I had to look and, and check the first time I listened to this album, and I was like, who's singing this song right now? Because I never look at, like, I always look up as little as I can about the album the first yeah. time I listen to it, whatever we're listening to. Um, and especially with Eddie Vedder, because I was like, I know so much about this guy already. Like, I don't want to, like, taint any of this album by, like, knowing what genre it's supposed to be or anything like that. So I don't even look at, like, the track listings at all. 
when I heard that voice come over, and I was like, who the hell is that? And then I saw that it was Elton John, and I was like, I guess I could tell that's Elton John, but damn, I guess when you get that old, and your voice is your main thing, yeah, that's kind of the first thing that goes, huh? To be fair, he is 103 years old, so is that we'll, all? Cut, him, we'll cut him a little slack. <laughs> Jesus they should, You know what they should have done? They should have just had Taron Egerton. Or whatever that dude's name is that played Elton John. Oh, Rocket Man. Yeah. They should have just had go. him play the sing the song on that as Elton John. Did he sing his own shit or did they use yeah. Sir Elton? Yeah, he's stuff? got a song he's got a song with Elton John. No shit. Yeah, goes like I'm gonna love again or something like that. But it's actually a pretty rocking song. I would suggest you check that one out. Okay. All right. Yeah. Maybe I'll do a reaction video. Oh yeah. It's good. It actually and this is legitimate. I mean, we, I know I was being very snarky and sarcastic about Try because this song was not very good. There was just slim pickings on this album yeah. of ones to pick. But I'm being sincere about that album, John and Taron Egerton, Egerton, whatever his name is. He was in the Kingsman, that guy. Yeah. yeah. There's him, there's Ansel Egort, and then there's a guy whose name's like Algen Heidenreich or something. He was yeah. solo. Those three could be the same person. You could tell me that, and I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be like, yeah. Didn't, didn't. Ansel Egort canceled Egort. He might have. I think he he put a picture of his penis on Instagram ah. in like solidarity with the Me Too movement, and then people were like, "Didn't you like groom a sixteen-year-old?" Allegedly, because I don't know any of these details, I could be completely yeah. wrong. So we'll slap a big allegedly on there. But I think I think you're absolutely correct, Jeff. I think he may have been canceled allegedly. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. Maybe it was Ansel and then canceled. I mean, that's the memes write themselves. He's the, the hashtag on Twitter, cancel Ansel. Yikes, buddy. Yikes, it, it rolls off the tongue. That's like saying Jeb Bush was low energy. When Donald Trump did that, done. <laughs> Damn, yeah, Jeb Bush energy. has X's for eyes. <laughs> what an insult, man, low energy. That's awful. It's like you know that it's like you're just, it's a code word. You're just like calling him a cuck. You know, and, like a little pussy boy, whatever. And Jeb Bush couldn't repudiate it because if he was yeah. his brother, he'd be like, I'll come over there and shoot you in the fucking face, Donald Trump. <laughs> Jeb Bush was like, stop picking on me. That's not <laughs> yeah. nice. Who's fine? <laughs> fucking A, dude. What a douchebag. What a D-bag. Well, and let's move on to the last pick from the Eddie Vedder album. Yes. Your last pick, Mrs. Mills. This one was more of like a circus freak oddity and more of a curiosity, more of a phenomenon. And I don't necessarily use the word positively. <laughs> then it was something I listened to and I went, oh yeah, fuck yeah, this will make a good pick. Because like you said, slam pickings on this <laughs> album. Shuck them up. So the first thing is much like... Um, uh, the Dark, the Springsteen song. Mm -hmm. This is aping Paul McCartney, specifically Penny Lane, right down to the last piece of DNA in its body. Strings, horns, flute. Stuff that you, in another lifetime, in another song, it'd be interesting to see Eddie Vedder try to work with these things. Because like he did that ukulele songs album. And it wasn't terrible. It was very different. And I enjoyed, mm -hmm. like, I didn't enjoy the whole thing, but I was like, oh, there's some really good songs on this. Just doing mm -hmm. some different stuff. So the idea of Eddie Vedder making a song that's, like, very string-heavy, 
horn heavy involves the the flute the jazz flute mm-hmm. i would be interested in that in another lifetime but the the weird turn that this song takes is okay it's a paul mccartney song ostensibly you know what i mean it's a penny lane ripoff you and know you in- drums ringo it's only one chad <laughs> smith that knew ringo star gets a bad rap the human metronome like he he's yeah. holding it down He's not as exciting or flashy as Chad Smith, but Ringo gets in there and does his thing. Yeah. The thing for me, at the risk of babbling, I like when I really drilled down in this, when you first listen to it, the lyrics are like, she undresses for all the boys and they put their hands on her ivory body and they can touch <laughs> her all over, but only for an allotted period of time. I don't know if you have those lyrics up. Oh, yeah. I paraphrase the shit out of them. I don't know if you want to hear this. Yeah, yeah I, uh, it's, I mean, you're one or two words off, but it's in the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. So you you initially you're like, oh, this is like a sad hooker song. This is about a woman that like has kind of been like forced into a life she doesn't want of like having to sell herself. And this is this is Eddie Vedder taking pity again on the wretched and the downtrodden and and who society tends to cast away and cast aspersions on. Okay. And then you quickly realize you're like, oh, he's talking about a piano. Like the more you listen to it, you're like, oh, he's he's talking about a piano, but a very specific piano. It is the piano that is in the studio at Abbey Road Studios. Its name is Mrs. Mills, named mm-hmm. after Mrs. Mills, who no shade on her, uh, big fat, bad teeth British lady. <laughs> so I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, on the one hand, no one knows who the fuck that is except for, like, in certain circles, Mrs. Mills. So it's nice that Eddie Vedder is trying to expose his demographic to this lady indirectly. But you have a Paul McCartney song using hooker imagery to talk about an old, fat British lady. I don't understand what this song was trying to do. It's very dumb. It's not a good tribute. It's an odd juxtaposition of theme and imagery. One of the bigger whiffs on the album, but very, very interesting because of that. Yes. Interesting is a word. The nicest thing you can say about it. So what I really, by the end of this album, what I really kind of felt was that where Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney and you know, all these other artists have really aged into this elder statesman of rock and roll, you know, kind of podium persona, whatever, whatever you want to call it. They, a lot of them have done that very well. I feel like Eddie Vedder is struggling to do that because think of the kind of music that like Paul McCartney played. It was the Beatles and Wings, like all stuff that's like pretty easy listening. You know, even when the Beatles got as weird as possible, like Rubber Soul and Revolver and like Sgt. Pepper's, like when they got weird, it was still very accessible music. It still had very like light and airy vibes to it, like still very easy to get into. Same thing with Bruce Springsteen. Even at his darkest, it was Nebraska and like Tunnel of Love and, and things that were like very relatable subjects, sung very clearly as well, I might add, with a lot less gravel in their voice. Now, Eddie Vedder, his early days are fire and vitriol, a lot of it. You know, very angry music. And he's not an angry person anymore. You know, at least not 
as much as he was then. So I feel like whereas those guys get to age as themselves, Eddie Vedder is having to try to cut a new path for himself. And that's why we're getting so many different sorts of things on the album. And that's why I think it is not as strong in some places because he's just taking a shot at something that he doesn't connect on. It, like, bro, go do an entire album of covers instead of writing these weird backdoor tributes. And mm-hmm. you don't even have to, again, I'm not like, play the fucking Pearl Jam hits, you fucking loser. Like, go make an album of songs cover Penny Lane as Penny Lane was if you want to do that but you make this cockamamie Mrs. Mills song and it, to me like again the mix the fucking wheels fell off the mix in this one bad mm-hmm. the vocals are way too far forward all the bass is taken out of his voice he sounds like a dad auditioning for local musical theater He, a guy who never struggles to hit the notes sounds like he's right on the cusp of being flat you can just hear it like, oh, an ounce more, and he would be flat as piss on a rock. And it's it's sad. He's just, Mrs. Mills, Mrs. Mills. He's just bleeding out this fucking stupid song. What a dumb song. But it, it was a big curiosity for me, more than a standout track. I couldn't not talk about it because when it started, I was like, oh, is he going to do some like Elvis Costello shit where he's going to like, talk about this woman and again like being uh, sympathetic to the sex workers is something that eddie vetter would do mm-hmm. you know he could he could take a very sympathetic approach to their story and tell a story that isn't exploitative instead he tells an exploitative story about a piano named after a fat lady like mm-hmm. i just find the whole thing really really weird like i'd love to pull like find this lady and bring her back to life for one day and be like what do you think of this song <laughs> so honest answer mrs mill what do you think what do you think baby yeah i don't know it's just Ugh. like I, I feel like it's you know we still get some of that classic eddie better but this has been the problem since really like backspacer you know everything before that i feel like you got very very much pearl jam and in, in, in a form that you were used to and then after that it kind of skewed because they had to you know they had to they weren't as angry as they were before. So the songs that were had that fast pace, like, like even flow would, you know, now they were not the same kind of heavy lyrics. They had to change because they're, they don't, one thing is, you know, I'm going to use that word authentic. Like they refuse to write about anything. They don't truly feel, you know, and if they're not feeling a lot of anger, you're not going to get a lot of music similar to what they used to do. Um, and I know we, they, this is an Eddie better album. We keep talking about Pearl Jam, but it's like, you know, to me, it's one and the same. You know, it's like yeah. Bruce Springsteen on his own versus Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band. I mean, to me, there's no, like, difference with that. Um, it might allow him to do a little bit more, like, they're not going to do a full ukulele album as Pearl Jam. You know, it's just not the, what, what they're going to do. But, you know, I still feel like Eddie Vedder is such a driving creative force in Pearl Jam that his solo music is going to be pretty similar. Because that's just how he felt. That's how he made his bones. Um and it's just like songs like Mrs. Mills and several others on this album, like that Elton John one, you know, they just didn't get right. And I know he's trying to just find his path as like an elder statesman of rock and roll now and remain relevant in writing, you know, songs that are just as vital as 
what he used to write, but about how he feels about things now. And that's I can see how that's hard to do. You don't have the urgency anymore. You've got millions and millions of dollars, probably a pretty good life with his family. You know, it's probably hard to stay upset about a lot of things these days. And the things that he gets upset about, he can affect policy now. He can donate mm-hmm. to a political candidate he believes in. He can start a charity. He can be a visible activist. At the beginning of his career, at the beginning of Pearl Jam, there was all that vitriol because up to that point, there's nothing that he or any other member of the band or any member of the grunge community could have done. Mm-hmm. And you really don't realize that you can affect policy like that until many, many years on when you are well established, when you're invited to induct people into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you are influential. When your records sell like they did, you are influential. When people come to your shows the way that they did in droves, you are influential. Now you have people's ear. So I think you're right. He's not necessarily as, it's not a, a blind rage. It is a directed rage and disappointment and sadness that he can do stuff about and he does he puts his fucking Mm -hmm. money where his mouth is that's very cool Mm -hmm. not a lot of musicians do that so eddie vetter solid dude but i am gonna go ahead and say skip this one yes i will absolutely agree there might be a couple on here that i'm like those are pretty decent but overall big fat skip on this one for me yeah nothing i can think of that would justify you listening to the whole thing just no just move on move on with your day yeah, it, it's it was a little disappointing. I mean, but I cannot say I was that surprised. Sure. You know, it's just. I mean, I I love Pearl Jam. I from the beginning. I mean, the Vitalogy album, like the double album they did. Yeah. Is great. I mean, it's just like that. They they did so so many good like Woman Behind a Counter, in a small town. Um, you know, Corduroy, great song. You know, it's just like they've had so, um, what's it, Given to Fly, incredible song. They've got so, so many, like, that's not even mentioning, like, Alive and Black and, you know, Even Flow and the big hits. It's like they had that second tier of hits that they had, like, Why Go? You know, there's so, so many great, great Pearl Jam songs. And it's like, it's disappointing to hear what, what has happened, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. And it seems like each successive release, whether it's Pearl Jam or Eddie Vedder solo, there's less and less to like dig in and love about it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I love Pearl Jam. I didn't need Pearl Jam out of this. I needed it to be good. And mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil anything, but it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. So I do yourselves a favor. If you really love Pearl Jam, like, like I do, go ahead and listen to it because I'm sure you're going to find some things in there that you like. Um, but if this is not what's going to get you into any better or Pearl Jam. So if you're not familiar with them and you weren't seeking this album out anyway, just skip it. I couldn't agree more. We want to send this one home. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, make sure you go on that YouTube we were talking about, like, subscribe, um, comment, tell us what you want to hear. Same thing with the singles video, same thing with the regular podcast episodes, um, those on the record shows that we started doing. Um, you know, whatever ideas you might have that you want to see us talk about, make sure you let us know. Um, keep looking for new things from us. Um, Alex, do you have anything, anything remaining? Oh my God. Yeah. Frank Zappa. Oh wow. I got to the end and almost didn't do it. (laughs) Oh man. I was, I thought we were going to make it. Holy shit. You guys. Okay. Go, I'll make it up to you guys. Go listen to the song, trying to grow a chin. It's fucking amazing. Yes. Do that. Tell us about it until next time.